0: Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather in the spirit of the apostle who said, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. The liturgy, music, and homily this Lord's Day are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful material support, your written or emailed response, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God. Please be seated. We gather as people of faith, as Christian people, come Sunday, Sunday morning to worship. It is a privilege and a joy and an honor to gather together in ordered worship. We do so this day, coming as we do to begin each week in a moment of quiet and of confession of sin, to bow, to pray silently, recognizing our fragility and our mortality. As we do so, we remember the words, the guiding, wise words of Marilyn Robinson. Theologians talk about prevenient grace that precedes grace itself and allows us to accept it. I think there must also be a prevenient courage that allows us to be brave. That is to acknowledge that there is more beauty than our eyes can bear, that precious things have been put into our hands And to do nothing, to honor them, is to do great harm. And therefore, this courage allows us, as the old ones said, to make ourselves useful. It allows us to be generous, which is another way of saying exactly the same thing. Let us bow. Let us pray. In the spirit, as the choir guides. have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the first book of Samuel, chapter 8, verses 4 through 20, and chapter 11, verses 14 through 15. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods So also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and courtiers. He will your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, No, but we are determined to have a king over us, so that we also may be like other nations, and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed offerings of well-being before the Lord, and there Saul and all the Israelites rejoiced greatly. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God.
2: lesson from St. Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 13, through chapter 5, verse 1. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure, because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying responsively verses from Psalm 138 with the antiphon. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I called, you answered me. You increased my strength of soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord. They have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he perceives from far away. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, You preserve me against the wrath of my enemies. You stretch out your hand, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Beloved, please stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
3: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Glory to to you, you, O Lord. And the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Bezabal, and by the ruler of the demon, he cast out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: be seated. Driving west on Route 90 you may have seen the new billboard which honors Abraham Lincoln and extols civility and quotes today's lesson: "A house divided against itself cannot stand." The billboard makes it seem that President Lincoln coined the phrase, but as you know, he did not. This is Jesus' word entering the world of conflict and tragedy, denying any part in Satan's divided household, and claiming to have, like a wily thief, entered that house and trussed up the strong man Satan and conquered him in apocalyptic fury. Jesus' family calls him crazy. Jesus' disciples discard his teaching. Jesus' opponents set religious rhetoric on fire to condemn him, all within syllables of the disciples themselves being introduced and named. That is, his ministry begins in a whole heap of trouble in this third chapter of St. Mark. We know not who wrote Mark, only his name. He wrote, wrote for a particular community whose location and name are also unknown. He even mentions by name members of his church, chapter 15, verse 2, Alexander and Rufus. The book is meant to help a community of Christians. It is written to support and encourage people who have already embraced the faith. While it purports to report on events long ago in the ministry of Jesus in the year year 30 A.D., its main thrust is toward its own hearers and readers 40 years later in 70 A.D., So it is not an evangelistic tract, and it is not a diary, and it is not a biography, and it is emphatically not a history. You will want to know what we can say then about Mark's community. If the community gave birth to the gospel, and if the community is the primary focus of the gospel, and if the community is the gospel's intended audience, you would like to know something about them. For one thing, the community is persecuted or is dreading persecution, or both. Jesus suffered, and so do or so will you. This is Mark's saying, his teaching. This gospel prepares its hearers for persecution. For another thing, the church may have been in or around Rome, or more probably somewhere in Syria, It is likely that Mark was written between 69 and 73 AD. For yet another thing, Mark's fellow congregants, fellow Christians, are Gentiles in the main, not Jews. He is writing to this largely Gentile group. He writes for them neither a timeless philosophical tract nor an ethereal piece of poetry. His is rather a message, a message with a target. The message is the preaching of the gospel. Further, Mark's composition, editing, comparisons, saying combination, style, Christology all point to Mark as the earliest of our four gospels. We have used the word gospel. You have heard the word many times and know that it means good news, it is an old term. You could compare it to ghost. Gospel is to good news as ghost is to spirit, you might say. Yet Mark calls his writing a gospel. He creates something new. Mark is a writing unlike any other to precede it. Mark is a writing unlike any other to precede it. Mark is not a history, not a biography, not a novel, not an apocalypse, not an essay, not a treatise, not an epistle. Examples of all these were to hand for Mark. Mark might have written one of any of them. He did not. He wrote something else and so in form to begin in genre. Gave us something new, a gospel. And his is the first, but not the last. In particular, we have entered a very strange gospel land this morning in the reading of our gospel, Mark 3.20. Call it the landscape of apocalyptic. Jesus is beside himself. There is a mention of a certain Beelzebub. The teaching has recourse to a parlor debate about demons and the prince of demons. Jesus refers to there the demons casting out. One wonders, don't you, about the binding up of a strong man. We have here frightening words about the end, about blasphemy, about forgiveness of all sins, hooray, except for one, boo-hoo, the sin against the Holy Spirit, not very helpfully defined by the way. Here is an unclean spirit. There are Family members disdained. Jesus enters ministry in blistering conflict with his own followers, with his religious debating partners, and with his own family. Friends, scribes, family have this in common, conflict with Jesus himself right at the get-go, right at the start. That is, Jesus is an apocalyptic preacher announcing the coming of the end, the turn of the ages. We can be sure of very little about the historical Jesus, but we can be sure of this. In fact, the point of the oddly arranged set of sayings is that Jesus has arrived to shift the world from the old age to the new age. He has brought the end of the old and the start of the new. He has set his standard on the field of battle, and having done so as divine power, he has, in effect, already won the war. Hence, disciples are to be disciplined. Hence, family, when in revolt, is to be discredited and rejected. Hence, and especially, the old way, the old religion is to be made new, transformed. All, that is, every and all, sin is finally forgivable. All sin is forgivable with various modes of atonement. But full-on, flat-out opposition to what is good in favor of what is not, to what is life in favor of what is death, to what is holy in favor of what is hellish, to what is spirit in favor of what is emptiness, this is, by definition, not forgivable. This is the sin against the Holy Spirit. That is, forgiveness is yours as long as you do not deny the reality of forgiveness. If you do, by definition, you go unforgiven. If there is no forgiveness for anyone, anywhere, at any time, then, again, By definition, there is none for you. There are none so thin as those who will not eat. Inside the gospel, all will be forgiven. We are not the first age to hear and to see lived out the extremities of familial, religious, and cultural enmity. Our house, across the land of the free and the home of the brave, And our houses across the lower 48 and beyond may well be divided, but division we did not invent. Across these years of division, now here, a time of forms of humiliation, now here, and a time taste testing a sort of fascism, and so fully in need of Samuel's warning about having a king, says Samuel. You want a king? I'm going to give you a king. And you're going to get a king. And along with that king, you're going to get a whole mess of misery. We too, like Jesus with his followers and Jesus with his sagacious opponents and Jesus with his family, in the months and years to come, will enter conversation, discussion, and discourse. To do so with grace, that is, with both honesty and kindness, is a grave but unavoidable challenge. At least so engaged, we might do well to be true to our own actual lived experience. If we can honor our own lived experience with some authentic recollection, then we may have a better chance to engage that of others. Here is one example. A few weeks ago, a mildly conservative columnist, whose work otherwise one often appreciates, wrote broadly of, quote, tens of millions of Americans, end quote. He was referring to middle America, red, smaller town, rural, freshwater America, and trying to explain why we have the divisions we do. He wrote, Tens of millions of Americans rightly feel that their local economies are under attack, their communities are dissolving, and their religious liberties are under threat, and went on to encourage attention to social problems. David Brooks, April 18. Our experience, Jan's and mine, across ten pulpits and four decades in ministry, years of upbringing and happy experience in the areas our colleague and friend and commentator is trying to describe, is the very opposite. Most of our upbringing and of our ministry was invested in red, smaller-town, rural, freshwater America. Here is an afternoon spent planning a stewardship campaign riding on the back of a tractor. Memory carries the happiness of calling in the barns at milking time. There is an evening spent listening to vocation and job choices at the kitchen table. One morning visit offered the chance to learn the family history of a middle-sized tool and dye company in a small city. After the committee meeting, one evening there was time to hear the history of a once prosperous manufacturing and imaging company. This was a life in ministry spent, seeing the seasonal rhythms of seed time and harvest, of the first day of trout fishing season and the last day of deer hunting season. Bluntly put, I hardly met a Democrat before I went to college and in the succeeding years our churches were largely colored red, no deep red. Our friend, Mr. Brooks, was right to encourage robust robust attention to social problems, but in the rest of the paragraph he is mistaken. Tens of millions of Americans in red, smaller town, rural, freshwater America are not living as if under economic attack. In our own lived multi-decade experience, they are, rather, sturdily and steadily enduring the unstoppable shift to a fully global economy with courage and creativity and long-suffering. With some little exception, our current national divisions are not welling up out of the angers of licensed nurses, truck drivers, farmers, school teachers, plumbers, and firefighters. Here is our experience to the contrary. Here is a North Country farmer putting livestock and machinery to auction and becoming an electrician with courage and grace. Here is the grandson, Sion, of a family company suddenly having to change because the company is suddenly globalized and becoming a photographer. Here is a middle manager in a downsizing corporation taking retirement and doing what he always loved, being with children and driving a school bus. One hopes that their religious formation in the Methodist tradition that celebrates itinerancy moving about on the planet, gave some support, some wind beneath the wings. Further, tens of millions of Americans are not whimpering about the loss of community. With some little exception, our house is not divided because den mothers and choir directors across the near Midwest think their communities are dissolving. They do not, and they are not. They are busy and faithful in their service to neighbor and divine as much as ever, and not dawdling around whining about dissolving communities. Nor are tens of millions of Americans hand-wringing about religious liberty. With some little exception, the people in our lived experience, in our five rural churches, our two college-town churches, our two smaller city churches— are not wailing and bemoaning that their religious liberties are under threat. The Johnson Amendment has been used exactly once since 1954 in its inception in Binghamton, New York, in a case involving Operation Rescue of all places and groups. No. There is more religious liberty and religion in rural, small-town, agricultural, freshwater America than there is pretty much anywhere else, and people know it and people are glad for it. And there is not a lot of rural hooping about selling cakes or not for gay weddings. Not economic attack, not communal demise, not religion falling away. These sorts of misdescriptions caricature good people in false ways they wrongly and unnecessarily denigrate the faithfulness and courage of many of our siblings, cousins, compatriots, and fellow citizens. If we are going to find a way toward a common hope, we will need to do so from red to blue and blue to red, unencumbered by and unshackled from such falsehoods. Across this summer, And into this autumn, we shall need everything we can muster to speak and hear a word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. A word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. If we can honor our own lived experience with some authentic recollection, then we may have a better chance to engage that of others. Speaking of common hope and speaking of pastoral voice, we conclude with a breakfast scene from 50 years ago. June 5, 1968 began with the usual commotion in our house, a small Methodist parsonage, two younger sisters and one younger brother arranging books breakfast the day's plans pancakes and arguments and some humor one mother overseeing the relative chaos I hoping to be ready for once when friends arrived to walk together to school that spring I had gained a fervent connection at age 13 to Robert Francis Kennedy for some reason I strongly and emotionally engaged with him, our senator then in the Empire State, and with his campaign as it unfolded. For one thing, there was therein a common hope. Yes, borrowed in phrasing from George Bernard Shaw, some people see things as they are and say, why? I dream things that never were, and I say, why not? My father supported another candidate, but was willing to respect a different, my own point of view. Earlier in the year, I remember sitting with him, watching President Johnson, jowly and bespectacled, telling us through the grainy black-and-white television that he would not run. Just before Johnson said it, my dad said, He's not going to do it. He's going to drop out. He's going to drop out. He was, after all, a graduate of the School of the Prophets, Boston University School of Theology. Less fully, I remember the announcement of Martin Luther King's death, and only later, Robert Kennedy's words from that night, words in eloquence and care of a heavenly sort. No, I, with others, was busy with eighth grade. Eighth grade and a still new school system was all-consuming, I still had not finished raking the lawn across the street that I had contracted to do in the fall, the deal being with a member of our church, a kindly patient pediatrician. There was a decision to make that week about a dance coming up. I remember feeling odd and uncertain about that. I spent my time on homework, scouting, sports, and friends to the extent I had located some but there was also RFK. It was many years later until I heard the tape of his Indianapolis speech late at night, bringing tragic tidings to hundreds gathered, black and white, on the night of King's murder. Still use the tape in teaching. Aeschylus, scripture, his own loss, his own experience, all rolled into a plea for calm, calm, To those of you who may be tempted to anger and vengeance tonight, I can say that I had a brother whom I lost. What we need in this country now, what we need in the United States now is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence or lawlessness, but love and wisdom and compassion toward one another and a feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. My dad was in Chicago that week, June 5th, 1968, for some long-forgotten denominational meeting. It was 7 a.m. our time, so 6 a.m. his. The phone rang, and after a brief word with Mom, he asked to speak to me, which was a little odd for that hour. He wanted me to know and to tell me himself that early that morning in California, Robert Francis Kennedy, too, had been shot. He sensed how much that news would grieve me, though we, as a land, still have yet fully to sense how much his loss has cost us. Maybe at an unconsidered sixth-sense level, Dad wanted to prevent any unnecessary cynicism on my part or hardened bitterness that might sprout up and of which there already was plenty around. Mostly, he was trying to be a good dad. And he lived and worked without ever forgetting the humble grace, the quiet power of a word of faith in a pastoral voice toward a common hope. Fifty years ago, I partly appreciated the call then. I really appreciate it now, 50 years later. Amen.
4: We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, lead me Lord. God of life, we praise you for your abiding presence from generation to generation, blessing your people, strengthening us to lives of service, empowering us to witness. Hear the prayers we offer on behalf of your creation. I will end each petition with, hear us, O God, and the response is, your mercy is great. O God, strengthen your church to do your work in the world. Remind us of your eternal presence so that we may be salt and light as we share your peace and love with others. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hate to love, from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, our universe. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Help us to maintain the balance of your creation by recognizing our interconnection with the entire earth. Enable us to recognize the ways that we create damage and give us hope to change our ways. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Draw leaders away from bitterness and into your ways of kindness and mercy. Help them recognize injustice and act to establish righteousness. Replace blame and malice with forgiveness and justice. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Sustain all whose journey feels too hard to bear. Restore the hope of all who despair. Comfort those who are poor, oppressed, persecuted, or homeless. Heal the sick and comfort the grieving, especially those we name before you now. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Bless this congregation that we may continue in your service to the community of Boston University and the city of Boston. Hear us, O God, your mercy is great. Grant that as we serve you now on earth, so may we one day rejoice with all the saints in your kingdom of light and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
3: Good morning. We welcome you again to Marsh Chapel on this beautiful late spring morning. Thank you for joining us as part of our community of worship today. Whether you are here in the sanctuary, listening on the radio, or live stream on the internet via WBUR, or later via our podcast. For those of you joining us in the sanctuary, we invite you to fill out your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This will help us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. Join Join us next Sunday for the annual Father's Day Brunch from 9.45 to 10.45 a.m. in the Marsh Room to celebrate all of the fathers in our midst. This year, we will also pause to honor the Reverend Dr. Jen Quigley and the Reverend Soren Hessler for their many years of ministry here at Marsh. On Sunday, June 24th, from 12 noon to 1.30, come and join the Dean and Jan Hill for pizza, music, Bible verses, and fellowship downstairs. Children and adults are welcome. This is our mini vacation Bible school. Please RSV for both events at chapel@bu.edu. Mark your calendars for Sunday, July 1st, Independence Day cookout, immediately following the service. Sign-up sheets will be available beginning next Sunday. Following the service, please join us for refreshment and fellowship outside on the plaza. For all other news and upcoming events, please visit the chapel website at bbu.edu/chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering, may we remember that it is a gift and discipline to be a giver.
4: merciful God, everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. We joyfully release what you have entrusted to us. May these gifts be signs of our whole lives returned to you, dedicated to the healing and unity of all creation. Through Jesus Christ, amen.